Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our NBA Rookie Outlook. So Jalen and I chose five rookies each from this year's draft class, and we're just going to talk about their season so far because there's definitely a lot of surprising names that have showed out, but also a couple of the top picks that have showed out as well. So Jalen, let's start with the first player on your list. Who is the first rookie that you're going to talk about? Yeah, man. Quick disclaimer, too. We left the two top picks being Jalen Green and Kay Cunningham off this list. All you have to do is go to Instagram and one of them are going to pop up on a regular basis across a lot of these NBA pages. They get a ton of coverage. So we kind of wanted to focus on the guys that are outside of that. There are a few names that are a little bit higher on the totem pole in the mainstream media. But overall, we try to stick with guys who are having a really underrated season for the teams they're playing for in this rookie year with all the disclaimers out of the way, the homie Josh Giddy for the Oklahoma city thunder. Let's talk about Josh Giddy, man. Reigning two time rookie of the month, back to back rookie of the month. I think he's looking at a third with the way January is looking by the way. And so far, man, I mean, he's definitely outlived. He's outplayed expectations. A lot of people saw, him as a player that was going to struggle mightily coming out of summer league, you know, the early injury, um, a guy who is more of a facilitator than a lead scorer and a guy who is going to learn on the fly a lot as part of an Oklahoma city thunder team that a lot of people don't think is good and are still having, still have a lot of questions about Um, so far this season, 11.5 points per game, 7.4 rebounds per game, 6.2 assists. Your favorite rappers, favorite rapper can't average that on 2k. And he's doing that in his rookie season as a part of an Oklahoma City Thunder team at age 19. I mean, you just love to see it. And I think the biggest thing about him is that a lot of people were sleeping on him because a lot of people saw Jonathan Kaminga as a better fit for the Oklahoma City Thunder moving forward. But I think Josh Giddy fits really well next to Shea in a way that I think we were only going to get an understanding of after seeing both of them on the court together. But trying to project it prior, it was kind of hard to see what the fit looks like. Look good to me. Look good to me, Ryan. I think it looks good to me as well, Jalen, because I think when you think of the Oklahoma City Thunder, they always draft athletes. And I think this was a point that you made in one of our more recent episodes. The fact that Oklahoma City went against the grain and and got Josh Giddy, who's not the most athletic player, but this is a guy who is a playmaker. It says something because. They wanted to change up. They wanted to change up their style because they've they've drafted so many athletic players in the past. They wanted to get somebody who can help not only facilitate an offense, but create plays and create opportunities for to score for not only himself, but for other players. So I think that's something that's, that's really been impressive with Josh Giddy. And the fact that he's slowly climbing the ranks to be a rookie of the year, I think is also really impressive because this was a player we really didn't know much about. He played a lot of his, most of his time in um, Australia, and we didn't really see a lot of him. There wasn't really a lot of, a, a lot of you know, scouting reports on Josh Giddy and what he brought to the table, but we're seeing what he brings to the table now with the, with the uh, Oklahoma State Thunder. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of finish up on Josh, I think the biggest thing about him so far this season is that he hasn't played 
against what he is good at. He has played exactly to his strengths. And Oklahoma City is the greatest place for him to be able to do that, right? They have guys like Alexi Pokusevsky going crazy over there. On any given night, he's a seven turnover machine. And on a different on a different night, he's got the ESPN top 10 highlight of a pass, you know, as an assist. And I think Josh Giddy is kind of learning on his own, um, at his own rate, at his own pace, and it's working out really well for him too. And Ryan, you made a really great point about the idea of Oklahoma City switching gears by going anti-athlete this time. I think what's starting to happen. And especially if you look further down that draft, right, getting a guy like Jeremiah Robinson Earl as well from Villanova, like they're starting to get guys who fit together. And that's the interesting thing about Oklahoma City's rebuild uh, in, in the state it's in right now is they're slowly but surely starting to find the puzzle pieces that make the masterpiece in its full now. And I think Josh Giddy along with Shea are the first of many building blocks they're still trying to put together, but it's a great place to start because we're talking about two guys who could potentially be lead guards for a team. And there's a lot of teams that don't have one lead guard they trust on a night-to-night basis. This team might have two. So moving on to my next player, um, my first player actually for the NBA Rookie Outlook, I'm going to talk about Evan Mobley for the Cleveland Cavaliers because he's averaging 15 points per game, 8.2 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 1.7 blocks and he's shooting 51% from the field this season and he is third among rookies in this category he also leads all rookies in in rebounds and blocks per game and we could talk about Mobley's defensive presence this season with the Cavs whether it's as a rim protector a shot blocker his versatility when it comes to guarding multiple positions on the floor but Mobley is quickly is quickly becoming a solid facilitator for this team so far in the month of January he's averaging three assists a game and he's making passes you wouldn't expect for him to make. But the crazy thing is that it ends up working out. And there was a scenario against the Knicks where Mobley was driving in the paint. And instead of kicking it out to Dylan Windler, who was on the wing, he passed it to Dean Wade, who was on the corner for the open three. And he ended up knocking down that three-pointer. It's almost like he's trying to up his, his playmaking badge in 2K <laughs> with, all the, with all these assists. But nonetheless, I think it's plays like that where you're reminded of how great Evan Mobley's court vision is, and these skills have really helped him form one of the most dominant front courts with Jared Allen. And I mean, you can talk about the passing, and it's definitely been a big improvement, despite the fact that I think he was always a pretty solid passer coming out of USC, but it's kind of gone up a notch now that he has players that can move with him and kind of really work towards his strengths, right? USC is a very, like, pound dribble guard heavy group. Uh, amongst the three guys he was playing with. And and as a part of this team, he's allowed to kind of really play within the freedom of his skill set. And he's been able to really unlock it. But, well, Ryan, I want to talk about something for a second real quick. Did y'all see? I'm going to clip this. So I got to clip this on Instagram. Did y'all see this man, Evan Mobley, poster Giannis Antetokounmpo? That is a man who has been in the weight room. That is a man who has been in the weight room. Evan Mobley is really putting in work so far this season. I've been really impressed with what he's been able to do. And Ryan, it's still so funny, right? Because one of the biggest things that we talked about, we talked about this on our own. We talked about this with Peter. Shout out to Peter Burnett, who's uh, a huge Cleveland Cavaliers fan that's been on the pod a couple of times. We talked about this on multiple occasions leading up to the season, about this idea of like, are they, talking about Cleveland, actually going to be able to work within this system of having 
all these big guys playing in the front court simultaneously like that. And all they've done is make us not worry. Like they're all they've all they've done is made it very easy for us to believe in them. They've been a lot better this season than we've seen in season past. And I actually want to read something that Giannis said following the game, because I think this actually not only embodies who Evan Mobley is and his impact on this team, but just how much more confident this Cleveland Cavaliers team is. Giannis Antetokounmpo the other day, other day said, this is not the Cleveland that we knew in years past, in past years. They're a playoff team and they're fighting for the title themselves. Do you think you would ever mention Cleveland Cavaliers and title in the same sentence without LeBron James being on the team? I don't think anybody would have been able to fathom that. So for somebody, we're talking about a former MVP, a former MVP giving such a praise for a young team built around guys like Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. To get that kind of praise, this is the team that just came off the title. This is the guy who spearheaded the team that just came off the title. I mean, that kind of praise, they are for real. And like I said before, I think Evan Mobley has a lot to do with just how good this team has been in the new philosophy that they've undertaken in terms of just being a more confident ball club. And the scary thing is we thought that maybe this team would have chosen another guard in the draft. We were thinking that Jalen Suggs probably could have gone with the third overall pick to the Cleveland Cavaliers. They ended up going with Evan Mobley and it was, it was a a questionable decision at first, but then we had to kind of wait it out much like with the, much like with the Josh Giddy draft choice with Oklahoma city. We just kind of had to wait it out to see what was going to happen. Not to mention that it's working out right now for the Cleveland Cavaliers, but this team is now in playoff contention. And let's put things into perspective here real quick. The last time the Cleveland Cavaliers made the playoffs without LeBron James on their team was the early 1990s. Mark Price and Craig Elo, just a couple of those guys from from those teams in the early 90s. And to think that this team is now in playoff contention without LeBron James and with a philosophy that works for them is unfathomable to think about. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. I think Cleveland has just been one of the most underrated teams so far this year in general. I think they're one of the most intriguing teams. Um, if you actually go to like all the smoke podcast, shout out to uh, Matt Barnes and uh, Steven Jackson for that podcast, really great content over there. And they recently just talked to um, Kendrick Perkins and he actually had the Cleveland Cavaliers as his most surprising team of the year so far this year. Now, Matt Barnes has Chicago Bulls, your boy. And then uh, Stack, uh, Stephen Jackson had Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies. I would argue out of those three teams, though, it's hard to say that Cleveland isn't the biggest surprise in the NBA, though, bro. I mean, it's it's impossible, bro. Even even if you didn't see the Bulls being any higher than like an eight seed and now they're where they are, that's still not the kind of jump that a team picking top three, jumping into the top five in playoff contention in the East, a competitive East, by the way. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's not debatable, bro. Cleveland is definitely the surprise team of the year. 
no doubt. No doubt about that at all. And I think it's going to be so interesting what this team does if they make the playoffs because this is a team that could have an Atlanta Hawks or a New York Knicks type impact. You know, a team that comes out of nowhere, makes the playoffs, fights hard in a really competitive first round series, mm-hmm. maybe make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, much like the Atlanta Hawks. But nonetheless, I think it's just really interesting to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers now as, as, as possible playoff contenders. But let's move on to our second rookies. Jalen, who is the second rookie you want to talk about? Now, if y'all have listened to this podcast enough, this name will not seem foreign to you. The homie Chris Duarte for the Indiana Pacers is that guy, okay? I know he has not won a rookie of the month, but this dude is the truth. He has a couple game winners on his belt. He's averaging 13.6 points per game. 4.1 4.1 rebounds, 2.3 assists. Let's talk about the numbers from Trey Pound. My dude right now is shooting 35.6% from, uh, from three on five attempts. Like to see it. You like to see the consistency. It's not great exponential shooting, but the volume is there. He is coming out and being aggressive on an Indiana Pacers team that is looking for anybody to stand out because they are desperately trying to figure out what the next versions of themselves are going to look like. Chris Duarte is carving out a path for himself right now. And look, bro, at me when I say this. Chris Duarte is on this team. I don't think you need TJ Warren. Don't worry about that man. Give Chris Duarte the minutes. Find a new home for TJ. Make a play from there. I think it's going to be really interesting what Indiana does at the trade deadline. Looks like a lot of teams are really interested in Miles Turner. It seems like Indiana is very interested in building around DeMontis Sabonis. They've made it very clear clear that guys like, um, I mean, if you look across the board for them, there's a handful of guys that they have in particular that have been made available. I think at this point with Chris Duarte playing the way he's played, that he is going to be a part of whatever this new wave is. And Jeremy Lamb is a guy that's on the trade, trade block for them. That's just another guy you move away to give somebody like Chris Duarte more minutes. Talk about the idea of this team blowing it up and you having guys who you can have reliably play the two and three. I said this before the draft, and I'm sticking to it. Chris Duarte is one of the most translatable players coming out of the college game in that 2021 group. He's been playing like it all year, bro. With a lot of uncertainty within the Pacers organization, I think the one thing that's certain was their choice to draft Chris Duarte. (laughs) Um, in the draft. And I think that it's really interesting that they chose him because it seemed like Indiana was gearing up for possibly another playoff, uh, another playoff uh, run during this, this, this very close and competitive playoff race here as we close out the month of January. The thing that's so interesting is you get a guy like Chris Duarte. I believe he's 24 years old right now. A lot of uh, veteran experience as somebody who you can instantly throw into this lineup and will provide an instant impact. And you saw that in the game against Golden State because let's talk about the fact that, one, they beat Golden State, and two, Chris Duarte had a pretty big impact in that game to help Indiana secure the win. So I think that's that's really important to think about. And like I said earlier, I'm I'm not really sure what the direction of the Indiana Pacers is going to look like in a couple of weeks, I mean, this could be a rebuilding team where this team can completely 
turn around and somehow find themselves in the playing tournament like they did last season. So I think the future is, is going to be very telling for what will happen with Chris Duarte, because if Indiana decides to blow it up, Chris Duarte is probably going to be one of those players that they build around. And I think it's going to be him and, and, and DeMontis Sabonis. But if Indiana is somehow, and I, I will say this because I'm not sure if this is going to happen at all. If they are somehow able to turn it around and find themselves in the play-in tournament or even in the playoff picture itself as a, as a lock, as a playoff lock, I think that Chris Duarte is going to be one of the reasons why this team is going to be successful this season. My biggest fear is that I don't think that they're going to commit to the idea of pushing for the playoffs. They have way too many guys on the block, right? Jeremy Lamb, Karis LeVert, TJ's name's got to be floated out there. Miles Turner. Again, I think I mentioned earlier that like they want to hold on to DeMontis and try to build around DeMontis. And I think that's a lot of why Chris Duarte is still a very valuable piece on this team, because I don't think they plan on trying to burn it down to the ground. I think the goal is for them to just try to retool in a more formidable way and that's by trying to build around a guy as opposed to trying to build up this duo that isn't actually coexisting in the way that you need it to to be a legitimate contender on a year-to-year basis but you also look at Chris Duarte's statistics over the course of the season pro steady even keel the dude's only had 10 games in 41 games he's had 10 games where he scored less than double figures In there, he's got a 27-point game, 24, 23, a handful of uh, of 15-pluses. Started off the the season with a a 27-point game and a loss to Charlotte. Like, this guy has been a model of consistency for this team in a way that I think is probably the only stable thing about this franchise right now is the fact that he is somebody that is going to bring it on a night-to-night basis. And... Look, if you're going to do a retooling, that's somebody you want to keep in your corner. Hopefully they hold him to a guy like TJ McConnell, too. He's definitely a big, like, bring your lunch pail to work kind of dude. So I think that that's another really interesting piece for them to look at in terms of trying to get uh, get past this trade deadline with certain guys still on the roster. Chris Duarte, though, man, I've raved about him at Oregon. I still, I love Evan. I'm just saying. I still think Chris Duarte deserved to be Pac-12 player of the year. I know Evan's been the truth. No hate to the bro. But Chris Duarte's that guy. And they're both just showing on the league level, which means realistically, I feel like the Pac-12 didn't get it wrong either way. I'm just a Chris Duarte kind of guy. I think the Pac-12 produces a great number of athletes. And you look at these two players that we just talked about, Evan Mobley and Chris Duarte, they're an example of the of the best of the Pac-12. And I think it's 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 going to be so exciting to watch these guys grow in the NBA and excel in their careers. Moving on to my second uh, rookie for the NBA Rookie Outlook, I want to talk about Franz Wagner uh, for the Orlando Magic. And Wagner is averaging 15.4 points per game, 4.8 rebounds, and 2.9 assists to go along with a steal a game. And he had a phenomenal month of December with averaging 19 points a game, shooting 40% from three. The month of January, he's really struggled, though. He's averaging 14.3 points per game on 18.8% shooting from three in the month of January. 
Wagner, however, has been the leading scorer in 14 games this season for Orlando, including four of the last seven games for the Magic. And Wagner has also been a solid perimeter defender for this team, which is something he was known for coming out of Michigan. And he's in a little bit of a shooting slump right now from three, but I think he will be able to turn it around. And I think he's going to continue to make a case for himself to be in the rookie of the year race. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for me when it comes to Franz is that he has outplayed the expectations that were set upon him coming out of summer league. He's, he's outplayed that by a mile, mainly because the bar was so low coming out of summer league. Right. And I think that's just because summer league is such a, and one street park level kind of environment. It's so insane, right? The crowd is hyper involved. Guys are trying to prove themselves. So there's a lot of one-on-one basketball, a lot of guys trying to secure roster spots. And with that glue guys like Franz Wagner don't typically shine as much as you would like, but he showed a lot of his bag, bro. He's got a little bit of ball handling to him, a little bit of off the dribble action. He's a guy who's definitely improving as an overall offensive threat. He's got the length. Um, he's got the length already to be a, a plus defender, and it's been pretty solid so far this season, despite the fact that, of course, you know, Orlando hasn't been great. He's definitely been the best rookie of the two guys that they picked up in the in the lottery because Jalen Suggs has been very waxing waney. He's come on strong these last couple of games, and I will give him that, especially when I have to admit that the game against the Bulls was definitely underwhelming. But nonetheless. Franz Wagner has been really good this season. Um, outstanding 38-point performance against the Milwaukee Bucks, too, last month. Like, I mean, the dude has been able to tap into something I don't think we really got to see at Michigan. And I think that's so important because this, this Magic team needs guys to kind of unlock themselves. And I think it's going to be so interesting to see what a defensive lineup looks like where you have Franz at the three and guys like Jonathan Isaac coming back. You have guys like Chumo Okeke on this team. Markel Fultz isn't healthy. It's going to be interesting just to see like what kind of length this team can throw on the floor because we've seen what teams like Toronto, shout out my homie TV, we've seen what teams like Toronto are able to do with a length-driven team. I think the Magic have a little something brewing over there as well. It's just about getting healthy for them more importantly. Yeah, this team definitely has a lot of talent. And you mentioned Jalen Suggs, too. And we were kind of waiting for him to break out for this for this Orlando Magic team. And he's been coming on strong recently. He didn't have that great of a start to his NBA career, but definitely somebody who's been able to come on strong. And I think that Bulls game helped us realize that he's not someone to be messed with, mm. that he he he's starting to you know come on strong. I think. I think somebody that you compared him to in terms of a NBA rookie uh, in, in terms of an NBA rookie year is Kobe white, who didn't have that strong of a first half, but came on strong in the second half. This is a guy in Jalen Suggs who I think can have a very strong ending to the second half. And I think with the amount of talent that's on this Orlando magic team, they're still in the rebuilding phases and they have a, a first year head coach too. in Jamal Mosley, who's been doing a great job for them. But I think it's just about adding to the building blocks and just continuing to develop each of the players. So, Jalen, moving on to the third uh, rookie in this NBA rookie outlook, 
Who is your third rookie in this episode? So my next guy is Nashawn Bones Highland out of VCU. Really solid, solid guard overall coming out of college. He was somebody that we were actually pretty high on in college. Um, shout out to him being a DMV prospect as well, straight out of Delaware. Very huge in my heart in terms of having the local guy shout out on the podcast. Uh, Bones Highland has just been really solid this year. 8.4 points per game, 2.5 rebounds, 1.7 assists. Like it might not like be super glaring, right? They're not these gaudy numbers that maybe some of the other guys that we talked about so far have done so like thus far this season. But I think the most important thing about Bones is he's filling a role in a very substantial way, right? You talk about the kind of the kind of talent that Denver has lost over the course of the season, right? Entering the year without Jamal Murray, having a situation where now you don't have Michael Porter Jr. Now, granted, there is reports that they both might be able to come before the playoffs. That's going to be really interesting in terms of talking about where Denver lands in the hierarchy of the West. But Sean Bowles Highland has just came in and done what he needs to do with the minutes that have been given to him. He's had a 24-point game here and there. He scored 27 recently against the Lakers in that crazy 37-point blowout. Like, when given an opportunity, when the bell rings, Bones comes to play. And he's just a really exciting offensive player. And as a part of a Nikola Jokic-led offense, guys like Bones are really fun to watch off the ball because they're already so crafty with the ball in their hands. Having a facilitator like Jokic to help them it's only going to make him an even more dangerous player. And I mean, I think that this Denver Nuggets team is going to be extremely dangerous, whether they get Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back or not. But I think if they do, I think Bones is going to be even more of a threat as a guy coming off the bench facing second units. I think when you talk about Bones Highland, you have to mention coming out of VCU, uh, coming out of VCU, his elite level scoring ability Mm. because I think this is a guy in Bones Highland you wanted him to come in and make and make an instant impact off the bench and I think you wanted him to provide that offensive spark off the bench and I I'm not really sure that Denver had that last season now they have it this season with Bones Highland they're getting some really good guard play out Will Barton this year and you you take into account Jamal Murray and MPJ are both about to come back pretty late in the season. So, I mean, if there if there's ever a time to say better late than never, it's probably now with this team because you're getting the right pieces around you healthy and you're getting substantial guard play from a rookie in Bones Highland who has made a great impact on your team off the bench this season. But moving on to my third rookie in my in the NBA rookie outlook, Davion Mitchell for the Sacramento Kings. And he's averaging 9.1 points per game, 2.3 rebounds, 3.2 assists per game. Much like uh, Franz Wagner, he had a pretty good month of December. Uh, in, December 11 to, uh, in December, he averaged 11.2 points per game. He shot 47.7% from the field, 41% from three, 85% from the line and in January he averaged or he's averaging 7.8 points 36 percent from the field 27.5 percent shooting from three and 28.6 percent from the line now we know from college that he was not the greatest 
shooter from the line. He was shooting 65% from the line coming out of Baylor. But he was known for being a solid shooter from three-point territory. And he's now, he's now shooting 29 point or 29.8% from three this season. He was also known as a great defender coming out of Baylor. And he has lived up to that. And that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about him because he actually leads the Kings in defensive win shares. And there was a stretch early on in the season where he was shutting down the opponent's best player, whether it was Damian Lillard or Donovan Mitchell. And he has a lot of potential as a defender, but I, but he he's going to have to improve on the offensive side of the ball. And we're really unsure of what the future of the Kings backcourt is going to look like with rumors of multiple players being traded with the trade deadline coming up. So I think that's really going to be interesting. One of the biggest things when it comes to Davion Mitchell for me is the fact that I actually have a question for you that I want to kind of retort is that part of me wonders if drafting Davion Mitchell was the wrong move. And the reason why I asked that is because of the fact that it seems like De'Aaron Fox has not been himself so far this season. And um, he, he still got the capacity to be an all-star level guard. He's been rumored in the Ben Simmons trades pretty frequently over the last couple of weeks, but as things continue to, to, to unfold, it sounds like the Sixers have bigger fish to fry. James Harden being one of them. We'll definitely have to talk about that soon because that is an interesting concept. But I think it's really taken a toll on De'Aaron Fox as a player being a part of a losing program and being on a team where now with three guards, especially with the fact that Tyrese Halliburton has also been playing really well, and, and Buddy Heald is still on this team, which is even more intriguing. The the backcourt the backcourt is so crouchy that I just wonder if they actually did themselves a disservice by not only picking up Davion but trading Buddy Heald. So like, what are your what are your thoughts on Davion in terms of like his potential impact on like De'Aaron Fox this season? Because I feel like it's definitely hurt more than help. Davion was brought in to be some kind of like defensive presence and bring some kind of defensive identity to this team. But I think all it's done is zapped away a lot of the offensive magic from Fox, which is actually taking steps in the wrong direction. I think when you, when you talk about the pairing of Davion Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox, personally, I was not expecting them to take Davion Mitchell. I was expecting them to take Franz Wagner, but Franz Wagner was already off the board at that point. So I guess they were thinking best available with who was left on the board. Davion Mitchell is a great 3 and D player coming out of college, but I don't think he's getting the minutes now to show how good of a 3 and D player he can be. And it, it doesn't help that you added to this crowded backcourt with De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald. Now you have to make minutes for Davion Mitchell, and then, and then you also have – Terrence Davis on the roster as well. So the, this guard department for the Sacramento Kings has just been crowded to say the least, but I'm not going to lie, Jalen. I think when you, when you think about what's happening in Sacramento and you talk about the, the fact that all these trade rumors are hurting De'Aaron Fox, let's go back to 2018 and the 2019 season is the 2018-2019 season. 
the Lakers were trying to make a move for Anthony Davis at this point. Now Anthony Davis is already on the team, but they were trying to trade for him midseason. There were all these reports coming out that Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart and Brandon Ingram were all on the trade block. What did this do? This hurt the team chemistry. Mm. Look at what's happening now with Sacramento. De'Aaron Fox is on the block uh, for trade for trading. Marvin Bagley's on the block for trading. Buddy Heald's on the block for trading. What is this doing, Jalen? Hurting team chemistry. That's a good point. There, there is there is no benefit for this. There is no win-win scenario in this right now for the Sacramento Kings. Now the rumors are out. You, you've you've heard all these trade rumors that De'Aaron Fox is, is probably going to be heading out on the Ben Simmons deal, depending on what happens with that. If Philly decides they want to actually decide to make the move, Marvin Bagley has been wanting out of Sacramento for a couple months. Buddy Hill's been in trade rumors ever since he basically got there. <laughs> right. So this is just turmoil right now. And, and I think the only person that not really the only person, but I think the people that, it's affecting it the most are the players that are on the trading block. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I've like, I've never really thought about it in comparison to the Lakers situation, but I think it's really important when you talk about the fact that this is a team that needs some kind of shakeup sooner rather than later. And although you could argue that the Kings are not looking for the kind of championship equity type of move that the Lakers were in terms of trying to acquire a guy like Anthony Davis in order to go for the chip. But Sacramento is desperately looking for a linchpin to finally make this team competitive, not as a championship contender, but legitimately just a playoff contender within the Western Conference. I mean, Sacramento has been so bad this season that even if you place them in the competitive East, the way the East has been so nip and tuck all year, they would still be bottom three, bottom four in comparison to a lot of these other teams. That's not great considering that this team has floated around the bottom five in their conference and even more so with the play-in tournament, it looks even worse when you miss the playoffs outright and you're not a tanking team, for example. Sacramento desperately needs something to happen quickly. I still have trepidations about this team moving forward and with the fact that I think the Ben Simmons thing is going to fall through. I don't think they're going to get that kind of game-changing player via trade this season, at least. I feel like revisionist history is going to look back on the Davion Mitchell pickup, and I think there's going to be a lot more, like, gas as opposed to fire where that smoke was. You know what I mean? I think that's probably the best way that you can put it because I think when you look at the – the move itself, it just caused more problems for the Kings by getting Davion Mitchell. And it's not only hurting Davion Mitchell's career so far that he really hasn't been able to showcase what he can do on the court. It's also hurting the players in your backcourt who have been constantly hearing about the fact that they're in trade rumors. So I just think that's, that's something that you made a great point of earlier. And I think this is going to be something to really, point out when we talk about the trade deadline in a couple weeks because there are a lot of moves where the Kings the Kings roster is definitely going to be shaken up at the deadline if any of these moves are pulled off but Jalen let's talk about our fourth 
NBA rookies here in this NBA rookie outlook. Who is your fourth rookie? Yeah, so the fourth rookie that I have um, is Herb Jones for the New Orleans Pelicans. And it's just hard not to commend a guy like Herb Jones for being an every down player, so to speak, for this team. I mean, they are horrible. (laughs) And I hate to be so aggressive, but like they are really horrible as a team right now. Um, Missing out on Zion Williamson has has hurt this team a lot more than I think we could have anticipated. Him being out as long as he's been out is also hurting this team a lot more um, because of the fact that the anticipation for his, you know, soon-to-be arrival has kind of dwindled more and more to the point that I think Pelicans fans are starting to wonder if we'll see Zion at all this year. But, I mean, you go through and they're 24th in points per game, 17th in opponents' points per game, 25th in offensive rating, 26th in offensive rating. They're in the bottom six of the league in terms of attendance rate at the Smoothie King Center. I mean, it's just kind of a tough a tough season for them overall. Brandon Ingram's missed time. But nonetheless, Herb Jones, 9.2 points per game, 3.4, I mean, 3.8 rebounds per game, two assists. Um, gotten some very interesting nicknames in the NBA, straight jacket, not on Herb, all very big indicators of him being a, a big-time defender for this team. And that's tough to be the only real defender on your team. But he's just been really solid, bro. He's had a lot of really solid games. And defense doesn't get highlighted enough, which is another reason why I wanted to bring Herb Jones up on this um, episode specifically. He's just been really good all this year. And he's gotten to play a lot more than I think we would have expected especially because he started um, about uh, about 80% of the games he's played in. He's played in 44 games, and he started in 35 of them. So he's gotten a lot of opportunity under Willie Green to just play. And the thing about that is, coming out of Alabama, you let a guy like Herb just play, he's going to be a menace. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be a menace. He might not fill up the stat sheet the way some of our typical all-star guys do, but He's going to be a menace on both floors, both sides of the floor, and he's been really good this year. I can't say it enough. He's been that guy for them. I mean, Jalen, he's been that guy since his time in Alabama, too. And <laughs> right. let's just let's just kind of reflect on that as well, because think about Alabama as a team in a tough SEC conference when you have to deal with teams like Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee. There's just the list goes on and on. Herb Jones was one of the top players, not only on his team, but in the SEC. And this is a guy who's been able to translate his game from college over to the NBA. And something that nearly doesn't get talked that doesn't nearly get talked about enough is his defense. And he is arguably the best. He's actually one of the best defenders on his team, but he's also one of the best defensive rookies this season as well with how he's been able to play defense, especially uh, in the post, in the paint, in the mid-range. He's been able to do it all. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not shocked at how well he's doing so far because I sort of expected this from him. But it's just the fact that he's really been the big spark plug on this team on the defensive end that's kept 
New Orleans in a lot of these games too. And I think the one thing that you you pointed out, and I want to kind of allude to it a little bit more, the injuries, Jalen. I mean, no Brandon Ingram. Zion may or may not even play this season. So I think this team just has a lot of questions right now. And this is a team that is not going to make the playing tournament. And they're pretty much just going to have to build off of off of the play of a lot of these guys. And and I think Herb Jones is going to be somebody that's widely considered as a player that they build around for sure. And considering the fact that also Trey Murphy, their other draft pick has struggled this year. So that definitely takes things into um, account more for the New Orleans Pelicans. I think that's a really interesting like point to make is about the idea of like building around him. Like they need some kind of defensive identity. Ryan, like that's like one of the biggest things that's hurting them so far this year is that they don't have a defensive bone in their body. And it's really bad when you talk about a team that has all the offensive potential in the world with so many defensively versatile guys in theory. In theory, they have guys like Jackson Hayes, guys like Brandon Ingram, uh, obviously Herb, like you mentioned before. You mentioned Trey Murphy. Um, out of Virginia too, who had a really solid summer league and kind of still hasn't, he hasn't been able to ride that wave that much uh, coming into this season. It seems almost as if his role has been so significantly reduced that, you know, this is one of the reasons why you can't gas summer league too much, right? Because there's guys like Max Struess or Omir Yurtseven who we gassed up coming out of uh, uh, the G League and out of um, the summer league where, in your case, you were right made a good call, translates a little bit differently. And there's other guys like Trey Murphy where when the role is reduced, can you still be an inkling of the guy you were before? And in Trey Murphy's case so far, that hasn't been the case. So it's a tricky situation overall. It's going to be interesting to see what New Orleans does this year. It seems like the the city of New Orleans just, just can't catch a break. You know, you get the Zion stuff going on, Sean Payton walking out the door now um, this, this past week. I mean, it's just like, bruh, man, at least they got Herb, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. At least they got Herb. It's like, just look at the positives. It's, right. it's like, look look at the positives for New Orleans right now. Herb Jones has showed out this season. And as a rookie, he's not only getting buckets for you offensively, he's playing some pretty great defense as well. So. I definitely would consider the idea of building around him, especially if you don't know what the long-term future is of Zion Williamson, because the future is looking more and more bleak for Zion in New Orleans and looking more and more, and, and it's looking, and, and the future is looking brighter for Zion in New, in, the, in, a, in New York with the New York Knicks, considering that they just acquired Cam Reddish too. So I think the Knicks plan of, reuniting the Duke trio from a couple of years ago might be coming to fruition, but let's talk about the Houston Rockets as part of my fourth NBA rookie uh, in this NBA rookie outlook. One of the rookies I want to talk about is Alperin Sengun, and he's averaging 8.9 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 2.5 assists per game, shooting close to 49% from the field. And the interesting thing with Sengun to this point in the season he has really intriguing potential, but Sangoon has not played 
more than 24 minutes in a game this season since December 22nd. Now, he has shown those flashes of potential as his per 36 minutes would suggest. In this category, he's averaging uh, he's averaging 17.5 points per game. Uh, he's averaging 17.5 points, 9.2 rebounds, 5.1 assists, 1.7 blocks, and 1.6 steals. The frustrating part could be the fact that he's missed a couple of games due to injury, but he hasn't really gotten a lot of starter minutes. Now, Coach Silas for the Rockets has said that it's a tough position for him to be in. Uh, he's playing behind one of our better players in Christian, and I don't feel comfortable at this point playing Christian and Alperin together. The numbers, uh, the, the numbers, the eye test have shown that those two together hasn't been that great. Now, there's also rumors that Christian Wood could be traded at the trade deadline, so that would make way for Sangoon to start for the Rockets. But either way, Alperin Sangoon has the potential to be a franchise player for this team. He just needs to see time on the floor. That's it. Yeah, I mean, let's get into Sangoon for a second, man, because the interesting thing about Sangoon, and this is what this is what I was about to allude to earlier. I think I was just very eager to talk about Alperin because his situation is so tricky because Jalen gets to go off. Josh Christopher gets to go off. You talk about the fact that Kevin Porter Jr. is still working himself, you know, working out the kinks at the point guard position. They're slowly reducing the minutes of guys like Gordon, right? And it seems like the only guy that is getting the leeway in terms of their, you know, their holding on to the old guard in retrospect is Christian Wood. And one could ask, why did they make such an investment in the first place if they're just going to mess around and turn, like, and trade them anyway? And I would argue, yeah, that's a very big question to ask. Why would you have invested that kind of money in him if you think that, if you don't think he's going to be a long-term guy? That actually scares me more, Ryan, because that makes me think they're not going to trade him and that his name is just out there in the streets just to try to get people to nibble and see what's up. So with that being the case, I don't know if Alperin's actually going to get the chance to get into his bag the way we know he's capable of. And we saw it in we saw it in preseason play with things like the summer league, his willingness to stretch out the three. We've even seen it so far like this, like this year, just in a very small sample size. Like he's he's willing to try to step out to three, something that I think when he was in, in, during overseas play, he was not as big on, you know, shooting, shooting from distance. He is like a 10 and 10 level guy. Like I think he can do that on a regular night to night basis. And maybe, maybe he doesn't have the all-star potential that maybe Christian Wood does. But why wouldn't you test that water? You know? So Alperin, the trade deadline is going to tell us a lot about what the future of Alperin Singun's rookie season is going to look like. If they move on from Christian Wood, I think Alperin Singun could make a really 
really big run at rookie of the year. Like, I'm going to just go that far. Like, I think on a Rockets team where there's going to be run and gun, balls to the wall level basketball, if Albrinson Goon is allowed to be let off the leash, I think he could legitimately be so much of a threat in this rookie of the year race that I think he could crack the top five in a month. I just think he's that good offensively. And I've seen him play at such a high skill set that if he's given an opportunity, he's going to go crazy. Question is, how committed are, is Houston to actually letting Alperin shine like that? But that's the thing, though, too, right? Because Coach Silas alluded to the eye test and the numbers. Has he actually tried this out? Has he experimented with <laughs> this pairing? Unless he's he's going off what he's seen in practice. But I'm just interested because Alperin Sangoon looks like a great player right now. And much like Davion Mitchell, I don't think he's getting the minutes to actually show how great he is. Because we saw that Summer League, he was a standout player for the Houston Rockets. I'm just very unsure of what his future is right now. Because he's playing... He's playing great with the sample size because his per 36, his per 36 minutes suggests that he's been playing some pretty great basketball this season, Mm -hmm. but he's been having to compete with minutes with Christian Wood. And we all know what Christian Wood's future is looking like. And he, he hasn't really coach Silas has not really tried to experiment with the pairing of Christian Wood and Alperin Sengun on the floor. So that makes me think one of those players being Christian Wood is probably going to get traded. But then you think about that, you know, recent articles have have kind of shown us that maybe that's not happening. So then where does Alperin Sengun fit in all this? Because he's a solid player, but I, I just want to see more from him. And that's pretty much just what it comes down to. Can we get more from Alperin Sengun? Jalen, let's move on to our fifth and final rookies here in our NBA Rookie Outlook. Who's the last rookie you want to talk about? All right, man. So the last one that I got on the list here is a very interesting one, and it's a little biased. Got to talk about the homie Ayo, bro. It's no way to talk. It's no way to sugarcoat it. The homie Ayo DeSumo for the Chicago Bulls, Chicago native, playing really well, 7.5 points per game, 2.5 rebounds per game, 1.9 assists. Most recently posted a career high, I think it was 24 points um, earlier this week. And look, bro, Ayo has played way more than I expected this year. You talk about getting Lonzo, getting Alex, bringing Kobe back, having Zach, bringing in DeMar. <laughs> Javante Green playing big minutes, getting Derek Jones Jr., who's played the three, four, and five for us in respective uh, games. And yet, Io has played in, in 42 games, and he's coming off the bench and playing relatively well, shooting 45% from three, only on two attempts, but he's he's at least doing the little things there. And one of the biggest things that's been so important, I think, for Ayo DeSumo this year is he's committing on the defensive end 
to help fuel his minutes. I think that's so important when you talk about the translation of rookies from their final year of college or their solo year in college, depending on if you're a one and done prospect to the NBA is this idea of knowing that you cannot always translate from being the same guy you were in college to the team that you are on now. And for IO in particular, he was coming up on, he was coming on a team where the cupboard was very full. Let's just be honest, right? Like I said, the cupboard was very full. You already had a guy in Zach Levine. You already had Kobe White. And although Io was drafted before a lot of these other moves, the Lonzo Ball deal was basically a done deal, right? I mean, <laughs> there was an investigation about it. It was basically already in the works. Talk about the DeMar DeRozan thing. That kind of unfolded in a different way, and especially with the things that were going that were coming out and are still coming out, coming out about his willingness to go to the Lakers. Getting DeMar DeRozan for the Chicago Bulls has been a, been a bit of a godsend. Nonetheless, Ayo DeSumo has done so well in limited time in a crouchy backcourt. And I think that's such a hard thing for a young player to do. And I think because Ayo is cut from that kind of cloth, that he is going to be so important especially with the fact that Alex Caruso is going to be out for some time. We're not going to talk about Grayson Allen because I'm not in the mood. But he's going to be so important over the next couple of weeks, him and Kobe. And I'm so intrigued to see what the, the, the other half of this year brings because Io is a real special dude, bro. I'm a really big fan of his, and I think that he's a really solid player. And he's repping the city of Chicago excellently with the grit and grind defense that he's playing. And the fact that he's also had a couple of really solid offensive games, just love to see it as a Bulls fan. Definitely biased here, but you got to admit, the boy's been playing pretty good. Yeah, he didn't have to go that far when he was uh, going from college to the NBA. He went to the University of Illinois, and now he's playing for the Chicago Bulls. I think when you talk about him, I think you just you have to go back to the point I made earlier about Chris Duarte, just the ability to make an instant impact on your team. And Ayo Desumu is a very sneaky player in this draft class because of his scoring ability. And I think you attribute that to his time at Illinois, where this was a player that was widely regarded as one of the best players in the country and almost won the player of the year, the Naismith player of the year. And I know, Jalen, you have your gripes about that because – we're not going to get into that now, but you still have your you still have your gripes about that, I see, and also the uh, the Pac-12 Player of the Year as well. So, I think the other thing when you look at Ayo Desumu, you talk about the crowded backcourt. He could not have fit better with the Chicago Bulls because he he's made himself a place on this roster with how he's been playing recently. So, I think that's definitely something the veteran players like Demar, like Lonzo like Zach Levine, that's something that they will appreciate. And now Alex Caruso's injury gives him more of an opening to get more minutes. Now, I think Chicago is really going to miss uh, Caruso's defensive acumen while he's out. But like I said earlier, I think this opens the door for Io to get more minutes. Yeah, i love to see some more Io DeSumo. And it's going to be one of those things where in terms of what this team looks like moving forward. It's going to have a lot to do with getting through this injury stretch. Derek Jones Jr. being out for four to six weeks 
Alex Caruso missing time, the fact that we're still trying to figure out the center position, despite the fact that Nikola Vucevic has actually been kind of solid the last couple of games. I know I kind of dragged him on the live with uh, with TV uh, the other night in terms of needing maybe a backup center behind him, but that's more so for defensively, not offensively. But if we can just get through this stretch, thankfully we still have Zach. Thankfully we have DeMar healthy. It's going to be huge these next couple of weeks, and Io is going to play a big, a big role in how we get through this because we saw what the Wizards did to start the season out, right? Started out as a top team in the East and has drastically plummeted. And I don't think Chicago wants to end like that, and I think that Chicago has the talent to avoid such a spiral. But it's going to come down to guys like Io DeSumo, Kobe White, and others stepping up within their roles with some of these guys out. I want to move on to my last player in my rookie outlook. And I want to talk about Cam Thomas for the Brooklyn Nets. And Thomas is averaging 7.8 points per game, 2.4 rebounds. He's shooting 43.5% from the field. Cam Thomas has been the elite level scorer that we knew he was coming out of college this season for the Brooklyn Nets. And Coming off of a a zero-point game against the Lakers, he goes off for his fourth 20-plus point game this season against the Denver Nuggets. He finished with 25 points, and he finished shooting 8 of 14 from the field, 4 of 6 from 3. He had 10 points in the second quarter alone. Now, why am I talking about Cam Thomas specifically? Because Cam Thomas, as a scorer, on a Brooklyn Nets team that is currently missing their big three right now. Cam Thomas is a player that we kind of talked about as somebody that needs to step up for the Brooklyn Nets. And the one gripe we had about him was the fact that he was a rookie. We can't put him in that situation. This is a guy in Cam Thomas that was coming out of LSU averaging close to 25 points a game. And he's shown in his, in his short span in the short time that he's been with the Brooklyn Nets, he's proven that he can bring that that elite-level scoring ability mm-hmm. to the Brooklyn Nets when they need it. And I think last night's game against the Denver Nuggets proved how dangerous of a scorer Cam Thomas is. Yeah, and I mean, just another guy, you talk about I.O. situation, Cam Thomas was walking into it even worse, right? James Harden, Kyrie Irving, picking up Patty Mills, Already having guys like Joe Harris, despite the fact that he's been injured, obviously that was the roster he was coming into. Joe Harris was healthy. Then you look at the fact that Bruce Brown was still on this team. Across the board, the guard position pretty much handled. Cam Thomas was almost a luxury pickup. We thought he was just going to kill it in the G League all season. But because of COVID restrictions, uh, COVID, uh, COVID safety protocol stuff, and the fact that Kyrie Irving has been out for most of the time, and even now is still at least on a part-time player pitch count, Cam Thomas has gotten a lot of opportunity to play, and he's making the most of it. He's gotten some game winners in here, kind of talking about, you know, homage to Chris Duarte as well, another guy who's kind of stepped up as a rookie in big moments. Cam has had some big scoring outputs on nights where maybe Kevin Durant wasn't available or nights where, you know, they just needed a third guy to really help carry the offensive load. Cam Thomas has been a very big contributor for this team in a way that most people wouldn't have expected considering this team was so loaded. But it's so much more important that he's been able to step up in this time where guys have been out because I think that's only going to further shape his role moving forward when more is asked of him. 
Because as the seasons go along, he's part of a championship team. It's not going to be any coddling and baby-stepping him through it. He's got Kevin Durant on his team. He's got James Harden for now, because based on the news, that could get tricky. But they have Kyrie Irving on this team. You have three all-star level guys, two two former MVPs on this team. There's not going to be any kind of coddling. So the fact that he's already stepped up really well in these moments and has been able to show up in the bright lights, it's important because he's part of a team where the lights are going to be bright every single night because Brooklyn's going to get everybody. Brooklyn is going to get everybody's best shot with the way this team is constructed. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who is an NBA rookie that has stood out this season in the 2021 NBA draft class? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode.